0: Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. We do serve a great God. We really do. And he's all-sovereign, and we talked about that last week. And so this morning, if you uh, have your Bibles there at home, I'd like for you to turn to the Old Testament, to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. I'm going to be sharing from the book of 2 Chronicles, and we'll look at that entire chapter as we go along. And this morning I want to share a sermon entitled, The Key to Overcoming Fear. The Key to Overcoming Fear. And so we're going to look at an example of a king using this key to overcome the fear in his life. His name is Jehoshaphat. And we're going to look at Jehoshaphat and how he gives us a key Uh, how he responded to fear, and how we can respond in the same and overcome fear. Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to to open your word. I know, Father, that uh, there are a lot of people who are afraid. And so, Father, people respond in fear or they respond in faith. And so I pray, Lord, as believers, that we'll always respond in faith. For those who have never trusted Christ, I pray that today they can learn how they can put their faith in the one who's in control of everything. And so, Father, I pray you'll speak to our hearts. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say them in. I pray you'll speak words to my heart that uh, I've never thought of, and I bring forth to you, to your people and to the world to hear. Lord, that will encourage them, and at, all, at the same time, let them know how to be free from this thing called fear. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's obvious that we're in a major health crisis in America, but not only here, but we have this... COVID 19 virus that has covered the entire world. And the mental response has been either fear or faith. So, as believers, we put our faith in the one sovereign God, Jehovah God, the one true God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We've put our faith and trust in the God of the Bible who is really sovereign god and who is the one true god sovereign in control of everything and so the point is our faith is founded on a person now let me just say that it's not a dead person but our faith is placed in a live person his name is jesus christ jesus came to this earth that's a historical fact, an archaeological fact. He came to this earth. We know when he was born, where he was born, who was the governor of that at time, the king during that period of time, the, the rulers of that period. We know all of that. That's a historical fact. And so Jesus came, and he came for a purpose. The Bible says that he came as a Savior. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. So God felt the most important thing that we need as human beings is a Savior. And He sent His Son into the world to be that Savior, to die on the cross for our sins, to die as our substitute on that cross. He was buried, and then He arose from the dead. We're going to be celebrating that resurrection on April the 12th. We refer to that as Easter. It's a great time. So as we celebrate, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the faith, the trust that I'm talking about is not in our circumstances, it's not in our own abilities, which so often fail us, but my life, my life goes much better when I place my faith and my confidence in sovereign God. And so that, that's the faith that Jesus invites you to Use today to place your faith in Him. Faith always comes down to this Am I going to trust God in this situation? Am I going to trust His promises? That's what it all boils down to. Whatever you're going through, you're going to say, Am I going to trust myself? Or am I going to trust God and His promises that I find in His Word? So faith is believing the Word of God, acting upon the Word of God, regardless how you feel because God promises a great result. And so regardless what you're going through in your life, are we willing to trust God? Are you willing to trust God? Now, the question arises is what happens when fear creeps into our mind? How can I be free from fear? How can I be free from fear? Well, first of all, let's think about what fear is. Now, the dictionary includes these definitions. First of all, fear is a painful emotion marked by an alarm. Before fear, there's an alarm. People get alarmed. Fear is anxiety related to pending hardship. Anxiety. Fear. Fear is a dread of an undesirable encounter with a person circumstance a dread of an undesirable encounter with a person or circumstance something's fixing to happen something bad's gonna happen to me something bad's gonna happen to my family I'm just worried about what's gonna happen so the point is this fear is the opposite to all Christianity is supposed to be we're not to be fearful Romans 8 verse 15 Paul said, you did not receive the bondage again unto fear. So as Christians, we're not to be fearful. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if God hasn't given it to us, who's given it to us? Well, the arch enemy. The devil's given it to us. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So the point is, anxiety, fear, has no place in the life of the believer. So we need to know what fear is. So the big question is, how can I get rid of fear? Now, I remember when I was a kid, uh, my dad brought home a a magnifying glass. And all of you are familiar, no doubt, with a magnifying glass. As I'm getting older, I find myself depending on, on my uh, bifocals, or really trifocals, I'm still depending on magnifying glasses, reading glasses, magnifying sheets. I have this magnifying sheet that comes in handy, and I can lay it down over a page of the Bible and pull it back and forth and get the right adjustment of that magnifying sheet. Sometimes with these trifocals, I have to move my eyes up and down. I'm really not agreeing with you, I'm just trying to get everything adjusted with these. <laughs> Magnifying
1: glasses.
0: (laughs) One time they used to be playthings. The magnifying glass did, but now they've become necessities. Now let me ask you this question. Does the magnifying glass make things bigger? No, it'll make things bigger. A magnifying glass makes things look bigger in my eyes. The point is when God is magnified, fear leaves. When the Lord is magnified, when God is magnified, then fear leaves. We don't make God any bigger, but we recognize Him for what He really is. And so when God is magnified, fear is gone. Remember that, jot it down. When God is magnified, fear is gone. The point is, fear and the right view of God, fear and the right view of God, cannot coexist you cannot have fear and at the same time have the right view of god if you have the right view of god there's no fear if you have fear there's no right view of god and so if i'm fearful then i'm not rightfully acknowledging the authority the power the sovereignty of the almighty and so second chronicles we can see an example of how when god is magnified how fear leaves now if you will look at verse one 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verse 1 simply says this, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the other people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Well, Jehoshaphat was a king. He was a king of Judah. Jehoshaphat was a a good king. He wasn't a real great king. He wasn't a mediocre king, but he was a good king. He wasn't an evil king. He was the fourth king of Judah. He was king of the northern kingdom. You have a divided kingdom. You have Israel at the southern, as the southern kingdom. You have Judah as the northern kingdom. But look at verse 2. Someone came in and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. Uh, they're from Engedi. They're around Engedi. They're close. So someone told Jehoshaphat that this great multitude is coming. We don't know how many was in the multitude. There's some people who try to estimate, but we don't know for sure. It was a great multitude, meaning they were greatly outnumbered. Uh, Jehoshaphat would be greatly outnumbered. And there at En Gedi, that was, that was real close. That wasn't far off. Their, they, their enemy wasn't far away. Now look what, verse 3. What, just look at Jehoshaphat. Verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. Jehoshaphat was what? All of a sudden he became afraid. He's, he became afraid. Now, he could have made several choices. He could have just froze. He could have uh, prepared for war. He was kind of at a crossroads as being the king, this big multitude coming for war. And they weren't far away. They were at En So what are you going to do, Jehoshaphat? Well, notice. First thing, Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah, Verse 4, and so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So he had this big crisis on his hand. So what did he do? Well, he didn't do a census, he didn't do any counting. He didn't count ventilators. He didn't take a census. He didn't think about distributions of this item or that item. He didn't see how many shields he had. He didn't see how many spears he had. He didn't see how many shoulders he, soldiers he had. Verse 3 says, He feared and he set himself to do what? To seek the Lord. That's the first thing he did. First thing he did. And what he was thinking, no doubt, is we've got to get serious about God, and we've got to get serious about God right now. Not serious about the problem as much as serious getting close to God. We can't mess around with not going to God. We can't mess around by trying other things. We don't have time to worry about our stockpile of weapons and our medical supplies. We're in a mess. We're in a crisis. We can't turn this crisis around on our own. We better get to God, and we better get to God real quick. He was a good king. Here's the point. When you find yourself in a fearful situation, God's not far away. The first thing you do is turn to Him. That goes to our political leaders also. You know it's kind of sad that in all of these two weeks, we have preachers preaching, evangelists preaching, we have people praying, but I have yet, and I may have missed it, I have yet to heard any political leader stand up and call this nation to prayer and seek God. I've never heard that. I haven't heard that. I think our president, and I think he's doing a great job, But I just wish our president would say, like he does, and others do at the end of their speeches, God bless America. I wish he would just say, our nation needs to turn to God and pray. When you find yourself in a fearful situation, God's not far away. Let me just remind you, friend, whatever you may be going through, he's... He's right next to you. He's waiting for you to reach out to him. So first of all, to rid yourself of fear, move quickly to God. Secondly, the key to overcoming fear, jot this down. Notice the focus on their nature and their faithfulness, uh, the nature and the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 4 if you would. God's nature and his faithfulness. So Judah gathered together, all of Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. All the people got together. About a couple of weeks ago, I just sent out a message and, and I through an all-call and a text and an email, and I invited our church family to come together at 8 o'clock in the evening with Judy and myself, just in the Spirit, for you to pray and read your Bible, to worship, to listen to, to music, Christian music. Have you gathered together with your family yet? You know, if we were able to meet here in our church, and if I called an a solemn assembly, and I said, listen, we need to come to the church building, and we need to come every day, and we need to seek the Lord, and we need to pray, and we need to fast, because we have this coronavirus that's coming across our cities. So meet us at the church. Would you come to the church building? I mean, would it really be that important? Verse 4 says, "You together, together, To ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the, the new court. Now here comes the manifestation. We begin the manifestation here of Jehoshaphat. And he said, O Lord God our fathers, are you not God in heaven? See, manifesting God. God, we know you're in heaven. You're the one true God. You're in heaven. You do not rule over all the... He says, and do you not rule over all kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? God, we know you're in heaven. And do you not rule, God, do you not rule over all nations and all kingdoms? Do you not have the kings of all nations like rivers in your hand, turning them into this channel into that channel? Do you not rule over all the nations? Is there not power and might? so that no one is able to withstand you. One translation, or several translations, says no one's able to stop you. God, you're in heaven, you're in heaven, you rule over kings and kingdoms, they're in your hands, and no one has the power to stop you. I like what James MacDonald said in a study we did months ago, change our attitude. He says, God is going to do what God is going to do. And so, first, you have a focus on God, his nature, the nature of God, and now you have a focus on the faithfulness of God. And so, it's not that just who he is, but what he's done. In the past, his faithfulness. You see, you have to remember, God doesn't change. God will do what God will do. But yet, God will do what God has done. He doesn't change. Fear not, God will do as God has done. Well, we know what he's done. He says in verse 7, you're not, he says, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of the land? This is what he's done. Thinking drive of our side of the land? He says, "You've, you've driven out inhabitants of this land before your people Israel. You gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. Didn't you do this, Lord? Sure, he did. And they dwell in it. They dwell in your tabernacle, he's speaking of. You've, you've, they, they dwell in it, and you have built you a sanctuary in it for your namesake. He's saying, this is, this is your house, God, and this enemy is coming to destroy your house. So they focused on the nature, and they focused on his faithfulness in the past. How quickly the leaders moved toward God. They focused on God's nature and their faithful, His faithfulness. And then notice, <clears throat> they're bowed praying in verse, uh, verse 8. And they dwell in it. They built for you a sanctuary in it, for your name saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. You know, this is their prayer to God. To be quite honest with you, I haven't really arrived where I'm completely satisfied with my prayer life. But this intermission that I have right now in my life has really given me an opportunity to advance my prayer life more than any other time. But I want you to notice the boldness of their praying in verse 8. He says, and they dwell in it. They built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, here's their boldness. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine... We will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in the temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. You know, he, he quotes part of the dedication prayer that was offered up when the temple was dedicated. And this is what he said we would do in verse 10. This is what we're going to do. He said, we're going to do this, verse 9. This is what we're going to do. I mean, if disaster comes, judgment, sword, pestilence, this is what we're going to do. We're going to cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will save. That's what we're going to do, and that's what you're going to do. So God, we told you whatever happens, we're going to stand strong and we're not going to turn from you and we're going to stand and we're going to cry out to you and we're going to promise you this and we know because of what we said we'll do, you're going to do what you said you're going to do. Have you ever made statements of that nature about perhaps your family? God, if you'll bless me with a. Godly wife, I'll do this. Or if you'll bless us with children, we'll do this. And God, if you'll help me with this job, I'll do this. And God, if you'll just bless me with this talent or this spiritual gift, then I'll serve you here and I'll serve you there and I'll never miss church. If you'll just make them well, you'll find me there at the foot of the cross. Have you ever made statements of things that you said you'd do if God do? So now, tough times are on us. You're having an opportunity kind of to review what all you said to God that you'd do. But yet, you failed in some of those areas, and you're expecting God to do what He said He'd do. One commentator simplified it this way. God, we told you that if X happened, and X is verse 9, then we would do Y. God, if X happens, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, coronavirus, whatever it is, if that happens, then we'll do nine. We will cry out to you in our affliction, and you'll hear us, and you'll save us. We'll cry out to you in our affliction, and you'll hear, and you'll save. And so God... God is, you know, you're saying right now, thinking about where we are in this virus situation. God, it's happening right now. We're doing what we said we'd do. And so all that's really left, God, is for you to do what you said that you would do. That's what they said. Look at verse 10 and following. And now here are my people... And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, and all in whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they've turned from them and did not destroy, destroy them. So God, when they came out of Egypt, God said, there's certain, certain groups that I don't want you to destroy. And so, Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir were some of those groups, and so Israel didn't destroy them. And here's the reward, they're rewarding us, Lord. We didn't destroy them, we could have, but now they're rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession which you have given us to inherit. Oh our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you, kindly God. We're in a corner right now, and and if if the only way out is you, now it's time for you to act, God. Or it's never going to happen. So that was. Some bold praying. Lord, we, we have this pandemic virus. We don't know what to do. We can't change it. We can't alter it. We can't stand in the sanctuary. We can't only stay in our houses and practice social distancing. But at the same time, There's some good news to the entire world. Jesus said in John 15, 5, Jesus said, For without me, you can do nothing. Got to remember that. Even with our best efforts and our smartest people, we're powerless. We're useless. Unless sovereign God takes and he reaches out to help. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and he that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And we need to realize that without him, we're helpless. How often are we put in this position we're in right now? Well, not in my lifetime, we've been put in a position as bad as this. Normally, We kindly partner with God. Uh, Part of it's God and part of it's us. We do our part. God does his part. That's called the divine human cooperative in theology. That's how it normally works. We do our part. God does his part. But the problem is that uh, we're so prideful that we say, well... I tell you what, God, we'll just do most of it, and if we need your help, we'll call on you. And that what that's what seems to be happening to a great extent. And because of that, the point is, every so often God puts us out completely, and He says, okay, this is 100% me, and you don't have any part of it. And that's happened several times in Scripture, just to mention it two that you might be familiar with. Da- Daniel, I'm sorry, David and the giant. I mean, did, understood? Uh, David, didn't have any body armor, didn't have a shield, didn't have a sword. All he had was a slingshot and some rocks. What about the Jericho adventures? When they took the city of Jericho, didn't have anything. All they had was trumpets. That was their weapon. And so we have to, Be willing to do bold praying, doing our part, allowing God to do his part. How's fear going to be relieved? Number four, a confirming word was sent by a prophet. Look at verse 13 and 15. Now all Judah, with their little ones and their wives and their children, they stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of of Zechariah, and all the family tree there. And down in verse 15, Jehaziel said, Listen, all of you, of Judah, and your inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. It's found 365 times in the Bible. One for every day of the year someone said, Do not be afraid and dismayed because of this great multitude For the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. So God raises up someone in this crisis to speak in this situation, to give them a confirming word. So if you're going through a crisis and you're not sure what to do, if you'll just listen to the word, if you'll listen to God's spokesman, If you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, if you'll just maybe when we have an opportunity to come to small groups and listen to your Sunday school teachers or stay for worship and listen in the worship service and listen to what God says through the preacher, God will use His message to confirm that you're you're on the right track and you have nothing to worry about if you're moving toward God. He'll give you a confirming word. He says the confirming word is do not be afraid and dismayed, because this great multitude of this great multitude, for the bad is not yours, it is the Lord's. That's the confirming word. So we as believers, the unbelievers, our president, our elected officials, the world organizations. Whatever they are, we can't fix this. And uh, and coming into our personal lives, we we can't we can't restore a broken relationship. We can't do that. God has that's his battle. You can't bring a prodigal back home. God has to do that. Some things are beyond us. And so we, get, we have a confirming word, and confirming word is this. You have to remember that the battle is the Lord's. That's our confirming word. So let go and let God handle that, because He's waiting on us to have total trust in Him. So look what happened. You have this confirming word. God's been magnified, and when God's magnified, fear's gone. And then you have verse 16. Tomorrow... He tells them what to do. Go down them. Go down against them. They'll surely come up by the sin of Ziz. And you're going to find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Juréel. And you're not going to, and you will not need to fight in this battle. You're just going to look on. Position yourself, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Here's their faith. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem may bow before the Lord, worship in the Lord. So they're in a worship service. The Levites and all the children of the Hithites and the children of... the Uh, of the Cahithites stood to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. And so they're worshiping God, believing God's word. So they rose up in the morning and they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Jerusalem, your inhabitants Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army. And they were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. No battle. God's taking charge of all of that. They're just having a worship service, and all they're doing is they're facing the enemy is singing. Verse 22, Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who who had come up against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly destroy, to kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of their inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So they just got a fight. They got in a fight with each other. And so God has made it evident that, you know, his people were to have confidence in him. And so remember, in order to, to, to have victory over fear, move quickly toward God, focus on God's nature and his faithfulness, have the boldness in and wait on a confirming word, be patient. Be willing to worship, and God will rout your enemy, and you can win victoriously. And so we can see just through Jehoshaphat what God has, is willing to do for those that will turn to him first. I don't know where you are in your life right now, but uh, you either have fear or you have faith. And if you have fear, you can have faith simply by willing to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. You know, that takes faith. Remember, faith, you believe God and His prophets. The people who have spoken for Him, you believe the Word of God, you act upon it. God's Word says that we're all sinners. Romans three twenty-three: For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's Word says that the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23, and God's Word says that Christ came into the world and died on the cross for our sins, and those who put their faith and trust in Him would never perish, but have everlasting life. And so this morning I pray that you'll turn to Him, trust Him and not anything else. Call out to Him and you'll be saved. Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified by faith. Believe the gospel, trust the gospel, and believe the gospel. The gospel is real simple. We try to make it difficult at times. We try to add things to it at times. But the gospel is simple. If you would, let me share 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 15, 1 through 4. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel... Which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you were saved. If you were to hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you first that all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He arose again the third day, according to the Scripture. You know, being freed from fear begins first by expressing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The old song says, Only trust Him. Only trust Him. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so to begin your process of being free from fear, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As a believer, you're struggling with fears, creeping in. Move quickly toward God. Focus on His nature and His faithfulness. Pray boldly. Wait for a confirming word. Be patient. Worship Him. And when God is manifested, fear will will be gone. So please keep that in mind. Let me mention this to you. Today I'm going to have a close in prayer. And then when we pray, I pray that if you've never trusted Christ before, you'd ask Christ to come into your life and save you. And then um, um, you'll have that assurance that when this life is over with, you'll have a home in heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to share. I know a lot of people are fearful. But I pray today that you've given us a guide, Lord, in how we can uh, be freed from fear. Help us, we pray, to move quickly to you. For those who have never trusted you as Lord and Savior of their life, I pray today that they'll realize that they're a sinner by nature and by choice. And Father, that they know that they're sinners. They know that Christ came and he died on the cross for their sins. And today, Lord, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in you. Just simply humble their heart and say, Prayer like this, perhaps. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm afraid and I don't have any faith. I have a lot of fear. I have a fear of dying. I have a fear, all different types of fear. So today, Lord, I want to place my faith, my trust in you to be my Lord, my Savior. I turn from my sin, I turn to you, and I trust only you to be my Lord, my Savior. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe with all of my heart that Christ came and he died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and on the third day he arose again. And I believe one day he's coming again. And so Father, I pray you'll forgive me and I give you my life. I want to be a follower of yours, a disciple of yours. So I give you my life today. Please save me, in Jesus' name, amen. During our invitation time, you pray and ask Christ to come into your life and save you. Listen to these words as our praise team leads us.
1: Ich Sp- to be rescued my I come, come.
0: close out this morning let me just say thank you so much for tuning in to our service and let me encourage our people to meet Judy and I in the spirit on Tuesdays or every night really every night during the week 8 o'clock for just time of prayer, worship uh, Bible study and I pray that you'll join us at that time if something happens and unforeseen Things take place, and you can't meet at 8, but well then meet whenever you can. Just have a time of family worship. As the fathers take lead in that, because you're the spiritual leader of your home, and I pray that, uh, that you will worship with us. Thank you for being faithful in your uh, giving, and let me encourage you to continue to, to uh, worship in your tithes and offerings. You can bring those by the church you can mail them to the church. And so I thank you so much for being faithful in your giving to our to our three streams. Our our ministry stream is our main budget uh, offering, and then we'll have our mortgage stream, and then we have our mission stream. And so be praying that we continue to carry on ministry uh, while uh, we're away from the church building. And so... Uh, I can help you, please call me here at the church, call my cell phone anytime, pray for each other, pick up the phone, Uh, call someone, uh, extend a greeting and have a prayer with them. I know they would appreciate that. This time, let's close out with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for a time of worship. Thank you, Lord, for a time to share your word. We ask now that you would be with us, be with our country and our leaders I pray, Lord, that we would continue to turn to you, Lord, when uh, when things arise. We know that when we do that, fear begins to leave. And so thank you for an opportunity to share again today, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank all of you for worshiping.